and welcome to A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. I am your undercover goth nerd witch host, Margot, and I want to wish you a very happy Friday. Uh, I want to start right off the bat wings with a Patreon shout out because I forgot to do it last episode and I am truly sorry for that. I absolutely love my Patreons and the little community that we are growing and cultivating and I am forever grateful for your support. So thank you to Diane, D, and Jen. Love you guys. So over on Patreon, I share early release episodes in unedited video format. Uh, you can see me choke on my beverages, trip over my words, and shout obscenities before all that gets edited out for the Friday podcast episodes. I also provide weekly collective oracle tarot and witch's rune readings, and we have a monthly spell that we vote on and perform together, plus uh, some random bonus content and a top tier that includes merch and spell boxes delivered to your door. So it's a whole lot of fun. Check it out if you want to at patreon.com slash A is for agrimony to see if you might be interested in joining. All right. So we just had Mardi Gras. And for those of you who celebrate it, I hope it was amazing. If you know me, then you know that I've been to New Orleans on a few occasions and I am nothing short of obsessed with the city and its culture. So <laughs> one year, uh, up here in good old NJ, I wanted to get into the Mardi Gras spirit and I ordered a king cake to be delivered to my office so my coworkers and I could participate in some of the fun. And um, for those of you who don't know, a king cake typically comes with a little baby hidden inside. Uh, the baby actually symbolizes the baby Jesus. Actually, here's a tidbit. Before the spread of Christianity, ancient Romans would place a fava bean inside their cakes for the Saturnalia festival, a celebration of the god of the harvest. And once Christianity spread across Rome and Europe, Saturnalia somewhat faded into what we now call Mardi Gras, or also known as the Day of Epiphany, or Three Kings Day. Mardi Gras itself refers to the carnival celebration that begins on or after the Christian feast of the Epiphany and culminates on the day before Ash Wednesday, Fat Tuesday, which is the English translation for the French Mardi Gras. Uh, the term explains the celebration of the last night of eating rich, fatty foods before the sacrifices and fasting of the Lenten season begins. So anyway, back to the office king cake. Whoever finds the baby in their piece of cake is proclaimed the king for the day and is responsible for providing the festivities for the next year, including next year's king cake. Well, this king cake was absolutely delicious, and we destroyed the whole thing. But no one found a baby. So we started to become suspicious that one of us may have accidentally ate the baby. And no one owned up to any immaculate digestion that may have happened later on. So we never really figured that one out. And that was the first and the last Mardi Gras celebration that we had at the office since we had no king for the following year. It was a delicious cake, though. And speaking of kings... We are back with Fortune and Flora to discuss the next member of the Major Arcana that the Fool will encounter on his epic journey. And while I say this, I'm reminded that we can look at the Fool's journey in the sense of him encountering all of these beings and learning lessons from them along the way. Or we can also look at it in terms of the Fool learning to embody their energies and basically become each of these archetypes. Either way, the important lessons are learned along the way. So the next major figure we see on this hero's journey is the Emperor. Now, 
So far on the fool's journey, they have learned to trust in the universe and take the leap of faith needed to begin their journey of enlightenment. They have encountered the magician who taught them about using the tools at their disposal, along with their will and personal power to align action with intention to realize their goals in the physical world. They encountered the high priestess who provided them with an education on the spiritual and taught them to locate and trust in their own intuition and inner knowing to seek answers within. Finally, they came upon the Empress, who, in her nurturing demeanor, taught the fool that they have the ability to patiently and confidently manifest the world around them and celebrate in the fertility and abundance of their own creativity and vision. Now, the fool has come upon the Emperor, and he is a vision to behold. He appears as a stoic ruler sitting upon his solid stone throne that is decorated with carved ram's heads. These symbolize his astrological association with both Aries and Mars. He's almost always pictured as a fully matured, bearded man, which displays his experience, wisdom, maturity, and also his virility. He is clothed in splendid, blood-red-colored robes, and a golden crown sits upon his head. Both of these further illustrate the imposing figure's position as an authority figure of the highest order. In one of his hands, usually the right, he holds a scepter, symbolizing his supreme power, which is sometimes depicted as an Egyptian ankh, the symbol of life. In his other hand, he cradles an orb, a representation of all the domains over which he has total and complete authority and reign. Often his throne is pictured before a range of mountains, which represent both the magnitude of his power and the strength of his foundation, as well as the heights he has climbed to reach his position through sheer determination. Through them, you may notice a small winding and flowing river, which indicates that despite his outward intimidating appearance, he is not a being that is without emotion or compassion. But this is not a weakness in any way, shape, or form because he continues to rule his empire with strength, will, intellect, and complete authority. In the pictorial key to the tarot, A.E. Waite writes, He is a crowned monarch, commanding, stately, seated on a throne, the arms of which are fronted by ram's heads. He is executive and realization, the power of this world, here clothed with the highest of its natural attributes. He is the virile power to which the empress responds. For this reason, the emperor is in opposition to, but also complementary to, the motherly aspect of the empress, as he is a symbol of the masculine principle, the paternal figure in life that gives structure and offers stability, creates rules, and imparts knowledge. The emperor turns up as number four in the major arcana. In numerology, the number four represents stability, order, and determination. It is connected to worldly authority, power, consistency, and discipline. Everything is made up of four elements, earth, water, air, and fire, earning the number four a special place in creation as well. Number four was believed to be the perfect number by the Pythagoreans. Its sacred geometry is a square, sturdy, solid, and perfectly balanced. Phrases that we know of and sometimes speak, like square deal, square meal, or having our feet planted squarely on the ground, all demonstrate the invaluable virtues of stability and reliability 
that are inherent in the number four. Squares are also straight and angular, not curved or bending. So rather than softness and pliability, it gives us straight edges, clean lines, and strength. In astrology, the number four relates to the North Node, which tells us the story of our soul's journey towards who we were meant to become, kind of like the fool. And the fourth sign of the zodiac is cancer, the crab. Domestically oriented cancers have qualities that make them very effective at creating a home, a characteristic that also exists in the number four. And just like that of the crab, the number four is a characteristic of a hard shell that serves to protect a much softer interior. And individuals with the number four as their life path tend to put lots of emphasis on being a good provider, very similar to the emperor. Along with the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water, the balanced and equitable nature of the number four shows itself in the four seasons, the moon's four primary phases. Spiritually, the number four urges us to keep our faith and exercise fairness and patience in even the most trying times. So the emperor very sufficiently fills the throne that is set here by the number four. Combine that value with the ruling planet of Mars, the ruling sign of Aries, and the ruling element of fire, and you have the very picture of authority, stability, power, strength, action, and decisiveness. So now that the fool is gazing upon this exalted emperor, what is it that they will learn from him? Well, if the empress offered the nurturing and inspirational guidance of a mother, the emperor definitely provides the authoritative and structure-driven guidance of a father, in the most traditional and not always entirely realistically based sense of those roles. While the Empress teaches the fool that they can create a world of abundance and happiness around them through their creativity, personal power, and alignment with nature, the Emperor teaches that structure, boundaries, strength, and assertiveness are what's needed to protect and govern this inspired creation and this true happiness. Very much the hard shell wrapped around the soft interior, but not for the sake of hardness, but stability, self-management, self-preservation, and a solid foundation from which to grow. This is the skill of not only ruling one's self, but also leading others wisely, all in the aim of the greatest good. And in this endeavor, firmness and compassion can coexist. So when the emperor presents himself to us in a card reading, we are being reminded to think about authority, regulations, organization, stability, power, rules, responsibility, logic, boundaries, wise counsel, or perhaps a dominating male or fatherly figure or a person of great authority and presence, who you can go to for assistance. I like to think of the cards as telling us that we are required to show up to a certain situation with a particular set of qualities that are innate in all of us, even if they are hard to see sometimes, rather than advising us to seek the help of someone who better fits the description of, say, the emperor. But the high priestess has also taught us to listen to our inner knowing, So this card may indeed indicate that you need to discuss an issue with a powerful, strategic thinker that you know. Otherwise, I would typically see it as an indication that I need to become the powerful, strategic thinker in order to see my way through a certain situation. 
I may need to seek more structure, create some guiding rules, or an organized system to lead me through a cycle. Or I may even be called upon to impart my knowledge onto someone else in need of honest and fair-minded guidance. The emperor seeks to guide with a firm hand, honoring his calling to rule justly above all else. But as a fair and just ruler, he understands that his responsibility is to serve. And in keeping with that fact, he acts rationally and according to the greater good of his kingdom. Some leader. So when we see the emperor in a reading, we are being presented with a chance to expand our efforts in terms of the goals that we have set for ourselves. Because a successful future is right there for the taking, if we can manage to stay disciplined and regimented in our actions towards those goals. This is no fool's leap. This is methodical and steady, as some things simply have to be. This card could be calling on a need to take charge of something important, a family matter, a new project, a work issue, or a friendly or romantic bump in the road. Something is in need of organization and order and a decisive mind that can bring much needed clarity. In love, we might be called to use our logical thinking rather than being led by our hearts, which unfortunately can sometimes lead us in the wrong direction in relationships. The emperor will seek to guard your heart by employing rational thought and foresight rather than trust in what is unclear. He may also be encouraging you to establish a solid relationship with a person that has been in your life but precariously positioned, i.e. someone you've just been seeing or only thinking about taking the next step with. It also may be warning us that it's time to honor our boundaries and put our foot down in areas where we are not being respected, nurtured, or supported, a condition that only serves those who benefit from our lack of power. In career matters, this reading is pretty straightforward. Be self-disciplined and do the work, sticking by your values in the process, and success is absolutely achievable. And if your query is about finances, the emperor will almost always advise you to tighten your purse strings or stick to a well-planned budget so that you can enjoy a more structured and less chaotic financial future. Now, as I said before, I don't read reversals, but I do consider the shadow side of every character in the tarot and how I can learn from their mistakes before I make them for myself. (laughs) That's the plan anyway. So the shadow side of the emperor or the reversal, if you read cards that way, shows a character that is overly concerned with pleasing others around him, to the detriment of his well-being and the well-being of his relationships with those he holds dearest. This is also someone who, instead of using their power for good, can easily find themselves on a power trip, immaturely abusing their authority and failing to properly manage projects, career, family, relationships, and life in general. Sometimes when we fail to stay regimented in certain situations, we find ourselves spiraling instead. This is surely a lesson that the emperor, in all his glory as depicted in the tarot, must have learned on his way to the throne. So we know some of the correspondences already. The emperor is ruled by the planet Mars and the zodiac sign Aries, though there are some convincing arguments for Saturn and the Capricorn sun sign. His ruling element is fire. His animal associations are the ram and the owl. Sacred day of the week is Tuesday, also ruled by Mars. 
Sacred stones are red jasper, carnelian, ruby, and bloodstone. His colors are red and or crimson. His sacred tree is oak. And sacred plants include, but are not limited to, ginger, galangal, mugwort, bay laurel, tiger lily, geranium, bloodroot, basil, frankincense, mustard, and nettle. And for yes or no key interpretations, the emperor is a yes. Now, moving into plant magic and medicine, ginger is a commonly used root that is also ruled by the planet Mars, the zodiac sign Aries, as well as Sagittarius and Scorpio, and the element of fire. It is renowned for its healing ability in herbology and plant medicine and its powerful presence in the practice of magic as well but extremely closely related to another fiery root that is also ruled by Mars, as well as the Sun, and the zodiac sign of Aries, as well as Scorpio, (laughs) and is even sometimes used as a substitution for ginger, although it is an entirely unique presence in the plant kingdom, is galangal. And honestly, I couldn't decide which one of these to incorporate into this episode, so I'm incorporating them both because they are so closely related yet so profoundly different in some senses that their relationship to one another is undeniable, similar to their stature, but differing in their application, one more gentle and loving while the other a bit more forceful, a little like the Empress and the Emperor, but also not at all because these herbs are entirely of the fiery nature. This also gives me an opportunity to discuss substitutions in plant magic and the valuable yet sometimes abused notion that intention is everything and how it can sometimes hurt our ability to broaden our education in natural magic, my ulterior motive. But we'll get to that. First, let's talk about ginger. So many of us know a great deal about ginger before we ever learn about its magical properties for its widespread use in cuisines throughout the world especially in Asia, and its ability to calm and soothe and upset stomach and other digestive issues, especially in those who are designated with a cool constitution as described in traditional Chinese medicine. There's a reason why a glass of ginger ale, if it's made with real ginger, can seemingly save our lives the day after we've celebrated a little too hard. The root can alleviate nausea and even reduce the effects of motion sickness. It is also said to be able to increase serotonin and dopamine levels, which could help reduce inflammation. Inflammation being the cause for many other ailments and mental health issues, this creates a large array of applications for ginger that continue to be studied. A pungent herb, ginger is found in many Chinese, Thai, and Indian dishes because it adds a flavor intensity that is sweet, fresh, warming, and spicy at the same time. Not very dissimilar to its cousin, galangal, which is found more often in Thai, Vietnamese, Indonesian, and Malaysian dishes for its ability to bring a flavor intensity that is sharper, spicier, earthier, and slightly more peppery. Where medicinal use is concerned, galangal is also rich in antioxidants, and current studies have revealed some effectiveness in protecting against certain cancers, infection, inflammation and pain, as well as male infertility. Studies to support these claims are ongoing. So while galangal is not as famously useful for stomach ailments as ginger, we see that they are both potent anti-inflammatories. When it comes to magic, these two herbs also have some similarities as well as some wildly different uses. 
They create a Venn diagram of magical properties and applications in witchcraft. Where Ginger is concerned, the main powers are that of love, money, power or strengthening, healing, and success. This is a verifiable powerhouse for helping you reach almost any goal you might have in mind, and why I immediately considered it as the Emperor Herb. But upon seeing one source suggest Galangal as a substitute for it in a magical use, and considering the similarities, I decided to include it as well for its very Emperor-worthy abilities as well as the opportunity to address the nature of substitutions on this episode. According to Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, eating ginger before spell work will lend your spell more power since you have been heated up by the ginger. This is especially effective in love spells. In fact, according to moodymoons.com, you can throw a piece of ginger into an attraction spell bag to inspire passion and bring heat into a relationship. Still on the love train, you can steep wine in ginger to create a love potion according to the Modern Witchcraft Guide to Magical Herbs. And on the protection front, a piece of ginger root buried near the entryway can protect the home. Extremely useful in money work. The plants themselves are said to attract wealth when grown on your property, or the powdered root can be sprinkled into your pockets or onto physical money for the same purpose. On the success front, ginger can work to ensure your spells, focus energies, and intentions always hit their mark when added as an aid. Some Pacific Islanders have been known to chew the root and spit it at the seat of an illness to aid in healing. And the same principle can be used in combining the strengthening power of ginger with your own saliva, a powerful representation of your own power and your own being, and adding that to, say, a spell jar, into the fire with incense, or even outside to strengthen boundary wards. So how does Galangal both resemble and differ from ginger in witchcraft? Well, first, it seems to have an even broader range of energetic properties, primarily those of protection, good luck, lust, health, money, psychic powers, justice, and hexbreaking. Secondly, while ginger may be more commonly used in the broad-ranging witchcraft community, according to Voodoo Universe by Lilith Dorsey on Pathios.com, Galangal is most popular with practitioners of hoodoo and conjure. And here we see the much more common practice of chewing the root and spitting it in small pieces around the home for all of its benefits and protection. When worn and carried, the root is said to protect its wearer and also draw good luck to them. It will also aid in psychic development and guard the wearer's health. When burned, powdered galangal can assist in breaking spells and hexes, but can also be sprinkled around the home to promote lust and passion. For the same effect, the root can be placed under the bed. Traditionally, galangal root is used to ensure the desired outcome of court cases and in situations where justice is needed. And like the ginger you would bury near your entryway, a small piece of galangal placed by your doormat will help to protect your home. In the case of money, I found more than one source that explained placing galangal in a spell bag with some pieces of silver will attract money and wealth. So you can see how incredibly similar and equally powerful ginger and galangal are. But however, they aren't quite exactly the same, especially in magic. And this is why I wanted to use this opportunity to talk about how substitutions and the notion of catch-all herbs in magic can be harmful. Not just where the outcomes of our spells are concerned, but harmful to our education as witches. 
Because when I saw the quick substitution for ginger is galangal throwaway comment without any explanation following it, it reminded me of a nagging issue in the modern witchcraft community. Substitutions, catch-alls, and the overuse, and dare I say, the abuse of the phrase, intention is everything. Yes, intention is everything, but that doesn't mean that the plant, mineral, and or spirit allies that we have assist us in our magic are nothing. This is where the abuse happens. Because the phrase, intention is everything, these are just the tools you use to help you focus your magic or something to that effect, is disrespectful to the spirits we work with be they plant-based, mineral-based, or otherwise, by reducing them down to just minor ingredients like a recipe. Not only that, it negates the need to educate ourselves on what they are really capable of and how they are very different from one another, and then ultimately leads to widespread misinformation like, say, rosemary is a catch-all herb that can be used for anything. Well, no, it's not. And no, it can't. And rosemary should be more respected than that, quite frankly. And so should ginger and galangal, my designated emperor herbs for this episode. It's very common for us as human beings to get excited about new information and want to share it. It's also very common for us to get wrapped up in generalizations that become tropes that later become somehow common knowledge that was never quite accurate in the first place. I was apprehensive about whether or not I wanted to speak on this topic because I really don't like to ruffle feathers, but the truth, she does. She does ruffle feathers and she doesn't care whose. So my point is, don't deny yourself the opportunity to really learn about and get to know the plant spirits that we work with. No one likes to be lumped together and turned into ambiguous, overgeneralized versions of their truly unique selves. So I'll venture to guess that the spirits we work with feel the same way. Don't stunt your education. Yes, if you want to add a little more passionate oomph to your love spell, then either ginger or galangal will do. And so will many other plant allies. But if you want to break a hex, well, we just learned which one of these would be much, much more effective. How about justice? That's galangal. Money? Yeah, both of them are useful but I sure wouldn't use rosemary instead of either of these in this case. I'm going to get down off my soapbox now, and I hope that I provided some food for thought rather than some ruffled feathers. There is so much to learn, so let's try to learn it all. I love you all, and that is all that I have for you today. Be well, and have an amazing weekend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you like what you've been hearing, please drop me a review wherever you listen. If you want some more content, please go to www.aisforagrimony.com, where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, and soon to come, the coven shop. You can also follow me on Instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony. That's an underscore in between every word. Or like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash a is for agrimony. Want to contact me? Shoot an email to reachmargo at a is for agrimony.com. 
And if you're interested in some exclusive bonus content, you can join me over on Patreon at patreon.com slash A is for Agrimony, where I share early release, unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, monthly spells, and much more. You're also welcome to send me some snail mail, if you're that kind of person, to P.O. Box 397, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, zip code 08003. I'd love a good surprise. (laughs) Or not. I don't know. Anyway, thank you for listening. Be well and have an amazing weekend.